Long story short, though, we've uh, been meeting with a lot of podcast guests, and they, you know, guys that are even bigger in the game than I am, um, and I try to learn from them, and I find patterns of what they say, and, uh, you know, sometimes they know more information than I know of sitting in North Dakota. Um, obviously, you can only read so much news and, and real estate and, you know, so much fear out there right now that I think... You know, all I can do is keep educating myself. No one's going to predict the future, right? But usually can I pick up on patterns of meeting with these millionaires and some even billionaire guys that they know a little more than we know. So I try to pick up on that and uh, try to deliver some information today. And I, I just want, you know, everyone's pivoting. Everyone's sitting, I should say right now, right? Like they're sitting on these 6%. Uh, five, six percent they're earning at the bank. Like you can get that. I think they I think I just seen you can get at uh, JP Morgan 5.33 um, percent. I think if you got over, you know, a certain threshold of cash in there, you can get that percentage um, just sitting on your money. Um, now, now I'm going to talk a little bit today about, you know, saving money versus storing money, because I think those are two hot topics that you know, I know people are sitting on the sidelines. There's a lot of cash sitting, uh, just waiting for the, it's just getting the highest yield right now. Right. And there's a little fear in the real estate market. Um, and you got the stock market pretty much sideways for two years. You know, the, now you're seeing 401ks, like basically 20 early 2020 was, you know, um, basically it's trading at the same rate it was pre COVID. So everyone made all this money in 21, 22, and then lost it all here in 20, late 22, early 23. Um, and now we're just riding this very, you know, linear, just sideways run. And I think it stays like this for a while because you got, if the stock market's doing it, you know, the stock market's anywhere from, you know, nine to 16, 18 months out, you know, they're trying to make predicts. And, and that's why the stock market bounces on news so much because it's going to, uh, the higher for longer is going to obviously affect the future. And, and you know, that's really what we're seeing. We're seeing inflation being very sticky. Uh, we're seeing a lot of people sitting on the long term, you know, the, the smart people are sitting on fixed debt that's low interest, can't move. And you're just going to have a big sideways run here. I think a lot of the appreciation that's happened in the market um for this decade has probably happened last year. And, you know, now we're going to get this sideways run um, of the stock market, which I think comes out of it, you know, maybe in Q1, Q2 starts coming out of it. People will pivot their savings account yields for five, five and a half percent, whatever they're getting. And they'll start moving into the stock market because they'll see the yields getting better. Um, and then the lagging indicator that we want to talk about today is real estate itself and, you know, kind of the whole point of this podcast is really like the five things I want you to ask yourself, you know, before you do a real estate deal. So, um, you know, you guys know I'm a real estate guy and of course I'm going to be a little bit biased towards that, but, uh, you know, you got in past history, you got people sitting on this high interest cash, right? Usually you could never earn money with your cash. Now you can, uh, interest free makes it very simple. And then you're going to see that when they do tick rates down, could be a year from now, uh, likely at least a year from now, I believe till interest rates tick down hardly at all. And I think when that happens, um, you're going to see a flood into the stock market. And then you're going to see a flood back into real estate. But 
that could be two years from now. So should you be interested in real estate? And now that there's less, it's a seller's market or it's a, you know, buyer's market again, it's, there isn't, you know, people are being patient and I think they should be, but you know, deals are, you got more people wanting to sell right now, older generations, the boomers, the transfer of wealth is happening. Um, you just have to be smart in how you get there. Um, and really, I want you to, you know, here's five questions that really you should be asking yourself before, you know, investing in any real estate deal. Kind of look at where you're at and the margins are and and different things. And um, guys, I've been doing real estate, you know, heavily now for seven years. Um, you know, you don't want to buy things just because you like them, just because of the shiniest, best deal. Uh, they market the hell out of things. And uh, sometimes the brightest, fanciest stuff makes the least amount of money. At least in my experience, I've found that to actually be true. That's why you see me do a lot of boring assets. I'll do a lot of class B multifamily. I will do, I've leaned very hard into self-storage, luxury storage. Um, I think it's a great asset class. I like the automation and the innovation that can go into those. And uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I don't ever want to see someone go into a real estate deal and, and, you know, lose their ass on it because they didn't do their homework or they weren't educated enough. They just had cash in their pocket and, and decided, yeah, this looks like a good deal. So, um, you know, I think, I think the first thing I want to start with here, number one is, you know, is the location check all the boxes that it needs to? Because location could be one thing. Like I'm in North Dakota, right? And I think North Dakota is a place where investors wouldn't think like outside the U, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, why would you invest in North Dakota, South Dakota, whatever, the Midwest, they'll call it. Um, well, we have margin here. You know, you got to think if you're getting if people are getting seven to eight percent debt and our cap rates are seven to eight percent, we still can leverage, right? And make cash flow. Um, now, when you're leveraging something, say in San Francisco, that's a four cap. I think I just talked to some guys there and uh, Vegas, Phoenix, you got four and a half to five and a half cap still trading. Well, the debt market down there is even eight and a half, nine. Why would you, you know, so you're, what you see is people from California, you see people from Arizona, the Southern Sun Belt markets, they send money up here to invest, to diversify because they do want some cash flow. And I think you should not only like you, you can love the appreciation markets. I get it. And there will always be demand and it'll be high, but it's very hard to borrow any cash. And some of them just aren't even smart plays. People just buy things with cash. And that makes it for real estate investors. If you're growing and you're trying to, you know, grow your portfolio, those aren't markets to be easily built in. And, and, you know, unless you're flipping, you just can't afford to hold anything because you can't borrow any debt on it. And it doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't pencil at the end of the day. So when you can send cash up from the South, you know, say I was just talking to, had a podcast with guy from California and he's like, yeah, I've been, you know, I'm looking for deals up there because everything out here is like three and a half, four caps. It's like, I can't, I can't justify buying a home. And you got this short-term rental market kind of getting hit. Right. And that's the way they, that when debt was cheap <laughs> and you could short-term rent it, it made a lot of sense. People ain't a lot of money that way, but you know, times have changed. And so 
you know, I believe investing in the Midwest is good because you'll get a cash return on your money. Um, and, and we continually see rental rises around here, but it's very, very much more stable because our, our cap rates are higher. We offer, you know, uh, we're a less demanding area, which, which we can. So it just gets less built in. So, you know, make sure that like, if you are investing in something, uh, investment friendly state, make sure that, Hey, uh, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, one of the most investment friendly states, but you can go right next door to Minnesota. Not very investor friendly, right? Like lots of landlord laws and uh, rent controls and, and things like that. So you really have to pay attention to what states you're investing in, which you probably know that. Um, but then make sure that you're in emerging, emerging markets that you know, maybe at least there's a population uptick every year. I, you're not going to get some of the numbers that you're going to see in the Sunbelt markets. And that's just the way it is. But if you, you know, you can do your demographic research by using Google and say, hey, yeah, you, this would be a good area. It's very stable. Uh, there's not a ton being built in the area. Maybe uh, the demand seems high. The occupancy is low. Like we have less than 3% Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota, where I'm at, um, you know, the the vacancy is just it, it, a very stable market at the end of the day. Um, you know, also check, are you close to amenities? Are you, you know, thinking in my storage deals? Are you, do you have exposure to highways? Are you near a exit for a highway? Do you, how many turns do you have to take to get into the facility? Um, there's all these different things on, on how like you predict whether it's a good it's a good place or not. And, and you should build your checklist. Um, or you can Google, um, search some of the content that I have. I've, I've sold, you know, built checklists that you can literally check and make sure these are the best demographics for you to invest in. Um, and maybe you shouldn't always be in a primary market. Maybe you do need to be in a tertiary market. And maybe your returns will be much larger because in the big cities, man, a lot of things are expensive. And even... You know, a local market to us in Fargo, it's a very big market, but it's also very challenging to get things to pencil there, right? And so sometimes you have to look to these smaller markets. And what we found out in COVID is that people like space. Now, I know housing is getting tighter. HOAs are getting more strict. Um, you got a lot of people moving in multifamily because there's no affordability in homes. But what we found out in COVID that people like the suburbs. They moved out from the cities the main core of the city, and they moved out. They moved out to these, these surrounding towns or these surrounding areas to find more space. Um, so you got to keep that in mind. Like, I don't think that was just a, you know, one-time thing. Like, this is a true thing that's going to keep happening. Um, and in, in COVID, it just exposed that. So I don't know. There's people that think everyone's going to just move to the cities and every suburb's going to die. But I, I think the city will the suburbs will make the city one day. Um, and I'm a believer in that. So, um, but also number two is the local economy growing. So, you know, quick demographics, we use radius plus in the storage game. Um, you know, you can use CoStar to find demographics. You can use Google. Uh, there's lots of ways you can find if the market is growing or is it stable or, you know, you, you definitely have a push to the Sunbelt markets once, you know, all these Midwesterns realized you didn't have to be to work for everything. Oh, they moved south, right? Like you had a, quite a bit of that happening. Um, but now what do we see? Now we see people leaving the Sunbelt because they can't find affordability. 
Um, and you know, maybe the jobs are paying just as much up here or more. And you know what? Cost of living is half of what it is living in, uh, Phoenix or living in Las Vegas or some of these areas. So, um, you know, the schools are very good. It's less people. Uh, you can get across town in, in, in miles instead of minutes, <laughs> uh, which not everyone can say, but, um, you know, you just want to know that you're in a good market. So it's like things will change. Do, do your best due diligence on the local market that you're looking in. And, and that content's out there. Like I said, Radius Plus, CoStar, uh, even use Google as your best friend on this. Um, and number three, like a value add opportunity. So like if you're just starting out in real estate, like the one thing, like you do not want to look for this tremendous value add. I did a value add property earlier this year and man, it was like, 36 units, but I had to renovate most of the buildings and, and it was challenging because we actually had, it was like a new development where we had to kick out every tenant, um, because there was terrible tenants in there. And then we have to do all the work and then start releasing them. Um, but you know, the, that was a tremendous load of value add that, you know, isn't typical. And, and what I would tell someone, if you, whether you're even going to go flip a house, like don't look for the cheapest property on the block just because you can buy it. Uh, find a capital partner that's willing to like throw the money in with you. And like you come with a plan and like do the lipstick, like do the small renovation to start with. Cause you, you end up biting too much off in real estate. You're going to realize like, whoa, like, I don't like this at all. It's too much work. And then um, but you actually just bit off too much. You didn't have any processes in place. You just kind of sprayed and prayed and went with it. And so try to find one that you can just like go throw some lipstick, it, it, flooring, paint, lights, you know, light com- cosmetic work. Don't go out and get yourself a full gut um, right out of the gate because you're likely to have a bad experience. It's likely to take too long. You're likely not to find subcontractors that were going to do it for the values you could be doing at. So you're going to have a ball of stress on your shoulders because you're going to be doing it yourself because you probably didn't value in enough money for the project. And I do construction for a living. So, and I even know that construction costs are rising and, and it's just tough. It's tough to find people to do things. Um, again, inflation's being sticky. I think salaries are still, you know, we were paying, I think a few years ago, we were paying guys $15 an hour. Well, those new guys are, you know, $20 plus an hour now. It's it, like it just changed so much in a few years, especially the construction market on finding people to do things. Um, it's a challenge. We, it, It's even a challenge for us in the market of construction. So just I'm going to tell you, don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, try to not have yourself do everything, especially if you have a full-time job. Try to have a contractor seeked out. Try to have them do the work. I promise you, you'll have a better experience and you're likely to make way more money and have less stress on your shoulders. You can get bigger and better in the deals, but just start easy. Um, what's the optimal ways to finance a, in a deal? So that's where I think the beginners get this wrong. And I think even people with relationship banking, like I love relationship banking and I think you should, everyone should have their go-to like place to go, right? Like a lot of your operational accounts might be there, but you know, I have, you know, 20 different LLCs and 20 different business accounts. And I, I think when you go to lend on a deal, like, you know, relationship is one thing, but no different than like contractors, like, like banks get like, turned off by an asset. Some banks don't like storage. They only like multifamily. And maybe they got burned on a storage deal. We don't know, right? Like, but 
you'll see the lending come back or uh, you'll, you know, request for request a proposal like you would anything else. You can shop out 10 banks if you want. Um, and you can have a relationship bank. You could have a few key banks. And I think those are always great things to have, but make sure that like you have hard money lenders, you got a bank institution, but you have more than one because like I said, you don't want to get stuck just because your lender's like, ah, you know, we're too exposed to this. So here's some really bad rates and terms. Um, and, and I don't think it's worth, you know, you just want to get multiple quotes, no different than you're going to get multiple quotes on contractors. You're going to get multiple quotes on financing and, and you're going to end up finding good hard money lenders to maybe partner with. Um, where you bringing zero money into these deals, right? Like most of the flippers, like I'm in wealthy investor, which is Ryan Pineda's programs. And there's guys on there all the time. They're flipping homes over in San Francisco and it makes no sense to hold them, but they can flip them, make really good money. Um, and they're just looking for capital partners. All they want is someone to put up the couple hundred grand to get the deal done. Uh, that guy's going to go out and do the work, execute the plan. You know, obviously you got to vet them and trust them, but that's just a way that, you know what, you can make money as a, as a, just loaning cash. Um, or, uh, hard money lenders will do this all the time. There's people that don't want anything to do with the equity side of things. All they want to do is lend money. And usually, um, you can make a deal with those guys and have zero cash into most of your games. It's just, you have to come with a good plan and execute, right? So, um, but you know what, if you're going to hold the property, even you can refinance them out, get the hard money lenders out. Uh, and if you're not familiar with hard money, it's like, it's basically the gap between where the bank will give you the note and the hard money lender will maybe fill the gap for construction costs or, uh, just executing your plan. You know, you got to buy right, of course, if you're flipping it, um, execute a, a high level plan and get the financing in place and hopefully give yourself 90 to 120 days to get it right back on the market and get it sold. Um, those are the best flippers out there that that's what they tell me they try to do. Uh, and they make a lot of money, do it. And they do, you know, some can do a hundred flips a year and those guys can make, you know, a few million bucks, just, just flipping homes, um, big teams, of course. And, uh, have a built up trust slowly, you know, they do one home a month and then they're doing two homes a month and then you, you just keep building it up. Um, and it's a great way to make cash. It's a poor way to build wealth. And so keep that in mind. Um, but number five, how can we improve operational efficiency? So this is like the dagger right now, right? Like, so everyone, you got expenses rising faster than the rents. Like, all these properties exploded in value in 21, 22, and now they're catching up. Every, you know, you got your tax bill. I'm sure you're pissed about it like everyone else is. Um, and everything's doing catch up to try to get to these new valuations that where all this inflation happened. Um, and anyone sitting on properties knows that they're trying to battle the tax people. And, and now that your tax valuation isn't even meeting where your valuation you probably would even get on the property. So you need to battle for that because if you were to take new debt and say your your property, your rental per home is valued at 200,000, well, it's probably valued at like 120 grand right now once you figure in 8% debt and a new investor buying it, right? So that's the battle that's going to happen. You know, it's already happening. I know a lot of people have gotten their, their tax bills, whether it's for homes or properties, and uh, they're not happy with it. And you know what? That's the way, you know, that's just what happened. And it's a lagging effect again, but... 
it happened. And I think we're going to live with these higher taxes. And what at the end of the day, what's going to happen, it'll push rents up because kind of what I'm getting at is like operations are are getting thin. We're getting squeezed as the landlord because our expenses are rising almost higher than our rents do because the rents will lag, right? So if our expenses rose by 7% this year and our rents only you know, rose by 1% to 2% because they rose so much in the past, well, now you're going to get this press coming into 2024. Rates are higher for longer. What's that going to cause? It's going to cause the landlords are going to say, hey, well, I was making this. I need to retain making that. So what it's going to do, it's going to cause rents to continue to rise. If you think about the last recession in 2008, uh, 2007, 2008, all the way up to 2010, the one thing that did not drop by a lot was rents. Um, basically, you had a bunch of bad loans get called. People had nowhere to go. They couldn't even get a home loan if they tried. Uh, cash was king back then. If you could have bought, I'm sure every property you can imagine, you would be really wealthy today. And there's a number of people who have done that, right? And um, but you couldn't even get a bank loan. You know, there was a lot of real estate investors that went to zero. Things were very frothy, just like they were in 21, 22. And you know, if you didn't get fixed debt, you're going to be stressed out, and probably there's going to be people losing properties here in the next 12 months, guaranteed. There's a bunch of loans coming due. Uh, I think there was like 1.4 trillion loans in the commercial real estate world that are going to come due in 2024. And they're probably not going to pencil out because they won't push rents enough or this office occupancy is so low that they can't get enough income. So the banks are going to be owning all this stuff and it's going to put some stress um, on the real estate market, causing even more opportunities, right? It depends the way you see it. You're like, wow, so would I get in now or do I wait till then? Well, guys, I'm doing, you, you just continue to do deals, right? Like I, this will be the biggest opportunity for you to build wealth in the next 10 years, right? Like you will wish that you sucked up every deal from now, uh, from two years from now, it'll be painful. We're going to have to continually look at our operational efficiency and hopefully be positive cash flow or meeting cash flow, you know, it's like you, you want to be positive and uh, that's always the goal, but people are going to continue to refine their operations. They're going to continue to drive rents even through all this. And they're going to continue trying to find ways to cut the expenses and just keep pushing uh, the cash flow up in their deals. So um, that is what's happening right now. In the next two years, it'll be all about operational efficiency and how well these, these assets can perform. And that way they can make their debt requirements and make it through this hiccup. Um, I don't think there's going to be a big downturn in real estate. I think it's just going to be just like the stock market's been riding sideways for two years. I think now this is where you're starting to see real estate. It's going to ride sideways for probably a couple of years. And there's the boomers are going to be like, yeah, we're out. And, and how can we get this asset off our, our balance sheet and onto yours? Or, or you know what I mean? How can we solve the problem, right? How can we make sure they can go retire, not deal with all these tenants? And how can we make sure they get the price they want, but give, give us the opportunity three to five years to make up some ground. Because I think in the next two years, you're not going to make up a lot of ground because rates are not going to drop overnight. Like it's going to be at least a year before we're talking about that, in my opinion. Um, sometime late 2024, maybe we start talking about that if the, if you know, everything starts hitting the fan. But um, you, 
shit, you still, I seen earnings, you know, everyone's still, earnings are still high in the stock market. I think it's just, it's going to be a long road and, and just prepare for that, but also be doing deals, be buying businesses, be buying real estate. I think those are all good areas in order to buy real estate. You got to have a business. You got to have a way to produce revenue. You're not going to quit your job and then just go figure out, uh, I'm going to quit my job and get passive income in real estate. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You, you invest for tax purposes when you're investing in real estate, right? Like out of the gate, that's what you're going to save the most of. And then in 10 years, you'll be like, wow, now it's all, now it's completely changed. Now it's more of a cash flow in uh, appreciation and, and just a waiting game. It's a long game when you're in the real estate game, but you do get to save a lot of taxes, which builds a more, you're going to keep more money, which is the game of life business, right? And that way you can keep more money in your pockets so and you're not paying taxes um, on that in the future. And you'll have more money compounding over time, right? Like the more money we can compound on the longer run of time, we're going to have a lot more, uh, you know, you'll have a lot better return. So, um, guys, if you are interested in real estate and you have no idea what I was talking about in there and markets, and some of this confuses you, I did break down a real estate course. It's like a couple hour course. Um, and if you've listened to the end, I appreciate it. And I will give you a coupon code for being uh, to the end, but you just got to DM me the word course uh, and I'll send that coupon code to you so you guys can get that. Um, I think everyone should be interested in real estate, um, but if you're new to the real estate world or maybe it just confuses you or certain areas, I break down everything um, pretty thoroughly, at least on the entry level. Um, where you will have a good understanding leaving that. You'll have spreadsheets, you will have some due diligence things, you will have um, some different tools for you to go out and do your own real estate deal. Um, so DM me the word course if that could help you. And guys, I think that is all for this week. So we will see you next week. Appreciate you all. See you.